Good morning, Castleton Church family. God is so good to let us worship this morning, isn't he? I want to thank Luke Jones for preaching so capably last Sunday, helping us to see the gift that congregational singing is for us as a church. Thank you, Luke. Well done. I also want to thank each of you that have already taken the time to fill out that survey we sent out in our e-news. If you haven't done so already, there's still time, and our, your elders would greatly uh, be helped if you would let us know what regathering has been like for you or the things you're thinking about as you consider joining in with our indoor gatherings. And then finally, um, want to thank you for your grace as uh Sermons like this one where I preach are video sermons. Uh, I Believe me, I know this is not ideal. Uh, however, uh, thank you for allowing me to continue my ministry to you. And we trust that the word of God is what does the work. And so we'll ask God to continue using his word among us. With that in mind, we turn our attention back to 1 Kings chapter 8 this morning as we continue looking at that dedication of the temple that King Solomon did 3,000 years ago. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for how it instructs us how we are to worship. Would you this morning grant us a trust in your promises? Would your very words to us be the thing that sustains our worship? We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. On May the 1st, of 1931, the Empire State Building was officially opened for business in a dedication ceremony. It was part celebration, part spectacle. Uh, at one point, they literally had the President of the United States, Herbert Hoover, flip a switch in the White House, which lit up the building all the way in New York City. Dedications are certainly a fun thing to go to as a gleaming new building is opened up to the public. But a good dedication is about more than letting you into the lobby. A good dedication is meant to teach you something. Why is this building here? That's a good question to ask of any building dedication. In the case of the Empire State Building, it was a monument to American prosperity and hope. It was in the midst of the Great Depression, and so having a, a huge building, 1,250 feet for people to look up at and see, made people think that America might be prosperous again. This morning, we turn our attention to a very different type of building dedication, but one with a very clear purpose behind it. Solomon dedicating the house he built for the Lord and revealing it is here for God's people to meet him and worship him. Uh, this is the capstone moment of a long process, a seven-year building campaign that has taxed Solomon's wisdom and wealth. He has put himself to this task. The, the building project is now done, and there has a great celebratory moment that, yes, had more than a little spectacle to it. All of Israel was gathered round. There were sacrifices. The, the ark was brought into the temple, and then the very glory of the Lord lit up the inside of Solomon's temple. Now, as we come to the second section in chapter 8, we come to a portion where Solomon leads these people in worship. And as he does, we will find a pattern for our own worship. We'll see that God's promises are what sustains our worship. That God's promises are what sustains our worship. 
The passage itself is easy enough structure-wise. Uh, 12 through 21, Solomon is addressing this assembly, giving a speech of sorts. And then in 22 through the end in 30, and even beyond that, all the way down to verse 53, Solomon is praying to God. Now, since we won't cover that whole second section, it'll take us two weeks to get through his prayer. And because there's so many themes that are interwoven through those two sections, instead, we'll look at two distinct themes found in this passage that have everything to do the way with we worship as New Testament Christians. Those themes are, first, we bless God for keeping his promises. We bless God for keeping his promises. We see that in verses 14 through 24 mainly. We bless God for keeping his promises. And then second, we ask God to confirm his word. We ask God to confirm his word. We see that in verses 25 through 30. And in all of this, we'll see uh, an absolute key to our worship is to know that God's promises are what sustains our worship. Let's begin in that first theme, we bless God for keeping his promises. Begin with me in verse 14. Then the king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel stood. You can imagine the moment. Thousands of Israelites gathered round at this spectacle celebration. And then a holy hush sets in as Solomon turns toward them, lifts his hands, and speaks. What does he say? Well, we're told he blesses them. Now, if we're not careful, we'll fall victim to what I used to call with my junior high students, I used to call them church words. They're those words we use so flippantly and so commonly, we don't even think about what they mean. They're just things Christians say. Blessing is undoubtedly one of those words. I mean, consider the ways we use blessing today. We would say, God bless America, maybe. Or, blessed, I'm blessed just to be worshiping this morning. Well, I certainly hope this service is a blessing to you. If it doesn't go so well, maybe it'll be a sort of a mixed blessing. Or, or maybe it'll turn into a blessing in disguise. At this point, maybe you're thinking, oh, Lord, bless his heart. Uh, did you hear someone sneeze? Bless you? I mean, think of all the ways we use that word blessing without really thinking about it much. By, by far the most dominant way we use it is to mean something that has gone well for us that God has something to do with in a very loose way. Uh, I think about someone who posts a, a brand new gleaming car or a, a fit toned physique on social media and they throw up a hashtag blessed. Look how fortunate I am. I'll, I'll tip my hat to God in some way. Or sometimes we might use blessing more to describe a way someone helped us. Someone blessed us by bringing a meal by. Or they blessed us by giving us a hug when we really need it. Now, using blessed in those ways, a favor from God or help from people, that's, that's not wrong. But it's not sufficient. If you, if you want to be a whole Bible Christian, your category for blessing needs to be larger than that. Think about how blessing is used in the story of Jacob and Esau. In that case, the blessing they are fighting over is the inheritance from their father. Blessing is inheriting cattle and land. Uh, blessing in the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes is something entirely different. Uh, blessing, as in blessed are the poor in spirit, 
that is a way of God declaring a state of being. It's saying, these people have God's smile upon them, those who are poor in spirit. You can also think of blessing as uh, an action people do to make something holy. Uh, you might pray before a meal. You might bless the meal, kind of consecrating, or, or you bless holy water in the Roman Catholic Church, things like that. So there's these categories for blessing that the Bible uses. If you want to make sense of the Bible, you need to expand your biblical dictionary to be able to make sense of it. There's also two more categories that we see in this passage. Solomon blesses two different directions, one to the people and one to God. In the case of him blessing the people, it is essentially a prayer for God to do something to help people. Uh, in this case, he is blessing the people, probably asking God to make his presence known among them. The blessing of worshiping him in his presence. It, the way it functions, you can think of it a little bit like the way that uh, our benedictions uh, function in our services. You know, at the end of the service, someone stands up. And before you go, we read a section of scripture or we have a, a short statement that's really a prayer to God to do something among us, for him to keep us unified, for us to send us out with his grace. Uh, you can think of that as the type of prayer that Solomon is giving for the people. He blesses them as he, he begins this worship service. But, but then even more oddly in verse 15, we see he blesses God. What, what does that mean? Verse 15, and he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think God needs me to do him any favors. God does not need me or Solomon or anyone else for him to be in a blessed state. So what is Solomon doing here? Well, this is a category where blessing means praise. It's a form of worship. It is a form of saying, God, you are worthy to be worshipped. Uh, you can think of that Matt Redmond song, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. Yeah, he, he talks about blessings God gives to us. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. And then when he gets into the chorus, he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. That is, he's worshiping God for what God's done for him. That, that's how Solomon leads the people in worship. He worships God at the beginning. He praises him. But why does he praise him? Why is God worthy of worship? Well, I'm so glad you asked because Solomon answers that question. We see it is for keeping his promises. You can see that in the second half of 15 and in verse 20. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hand has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to David, my father. Down in verse 20, you can see the same thing. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made. What is it that leads Solomon to lead the people in worship? It is that God keeps his promises. That bookends this section. And in between, Solomon takes them down on a stroll, down memory lane, of how God has kept his promises. Think back to when they were in Egypt and God led them out in the Exodus. As they were out in the wilderness together, God didn't set up and make himself a house. No, he wandered with them in a tent then even once they went into the land and the conquest, even as his people started building houses for themselves and a place for them to dwell permanently, God kept living in the tent. 
And that led to David, with all his love and earnestness for God, he decided a, a good desire that God affirmed that he should go and build God a house, a temple. Even as God said, that's a good impulse, David, God forbade him to do it. He said, you will not be the one to build my house. You won't build me a house, David. In fact, I'm going to build you a house. One of your sons is going to build a temple, a, a temple where I will live and my name will be known and my people will be blessed. Solomon is making sure the people see the long road that has led them here and appreciate the moment of God fulfilling the promise long given to his people that he would live in the house built by David's son. Now, as Solomon turns from the people and addressing them to addressing God, he keeps this theme of praise going. And he praises God for fulfilling his promises. And he says something that's uh, rather interesting. He says that that is something unique about his God. Verse 23, and he said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath. And here's why. Keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all your heart. God is worthy to be praised because he keeps his promises unlike other gods. Now, if you're not familiar with the ancient Near East dime store deities that were back around in that day that were vying for people's worship, that may not make a lot of sense. It turns out there were lots of other people trying to get worship for their gods, and those gods were known for being especially unreliable. Commentator Dale Ralph Davis said that the ancient Near Eastern deities are notoriously flaky. That is, if you were worshiping Molech or Ashtara or Baal, even if you made the right sacrifices and even if you fulfilled your vows, there's no guarantee that these deities will keep their promises to you. Another God might interfere or they might just change their mind. At the end of the day, though, people didn't put much stock in the promises of the gods. How different is the God of the Israelites? How different is a God who can be trusted at his word to keep his promises? Brothers and sisters, do you see how in this worship service, full of celebration and spectacle, how God's promises are central to their worship, how his promises actually carry forward and sustain their worship? Now, we are in a very different place, 3,000 years later, on the other side of the cross of Jesus, and, and yet, don't we find that remembering God's promises is what sustains our worship today? I mean, Solomon gave the people some help remembering what God did through spiritual snapshots, little, little pictures to remind them of how God fulfilled his promises. Have you ever found yourself benefiting from doing the same thing? Uh, if you use a smartphone today, maybe you use one of those cloud photo uh, management things that Google and Apple have. Uh, one of the features that they've all copied from each other are these things called stories. The, the phone will take all the pictures you've uploaded and it'll just automatically kind of stitch them together with photos and videos and what it thinks were one event. So maybe all the photos and videos from a birthday party or everything from a trip you made overseas. Now, I don't know about you, I find it incredibly creepy when my phone does this. 
However, I see why they think this would be helpful because we all need to be able to remember, don't we? We need to be able to remember. And that, that's true of our family gatherings and travel. We need to remember, remember the good times. How true is that for us spiritually that we need to be able to hold on to spiritual snapshots of when God has fulfilled his promises? This week as I was writing this sermon, the Lord just brought in front of me in ways I couldn't miss a whole bunch of examples of ways he fulfilled promises that I was able to see. Uh, Someone that was on their way to seminary where the Lord provided a path for that to happen. Uh, An evangelistic opening in someone's family that had seemed closed and now suddenly is wide open. A successful surgery for someone in the midst of a deep affliction. God even raising up in our church more workers for the harvest that he has promised. We need to hold on to those spiritual snapshots so we can remember God's promise so that we can in turn bless the Lord, that we can praise him for all that he has done. Now, let me also encourage you when you see those snapshots to tell others about them, share them with people. One way we get to do that as a church that I I love and so looking forward to the next time is uh, the testimonies of salvation we hear whenever we do baptisms. We've got another batch of them coming up on the 27th. I hope you will be able to be there and to hear those stories of God's fulfilling his promises to save sinners. But maybe in your life, you don't have an opportunity to give a testimony in front of all that many people right now. You can certainly give it to whoever God puts in front of you this week. Ask yourself, how can I finish this sentence? Let me tell you what God has done for me. And see maybe if God will let you use one of your spiritual snapshots to encourage someone. Well, maybe you're here this morning and you find yourself and it just feels like your spiritual photo album is empty at the moment. You can't think of anything that God has done to prove his promises to you. You find yourself discouraged, maybe even unable to pray. Brothers and sisters, remember, all of us have access to a shared album, to the greatest of all promises that God has made good on, the sending of his son Jesus to this earth. God made good on his promise to live amongst his people by sending the man, Jesus Christ, to live and walk among us. He made good on his promise to forgive our sins by sending that son, Jesus, to die on the cross as a substitute. He made good on his promise to give us an eternity with him, eternal life, by raising Jesus back from the dead. And that means no matter how long it's been since we've noticed God do something in our lives, if we are a Christian, we should be able to say, God is so good. He's so good to me. So looking back on God's promises causes us to praise him, to bless him. But looking back isn't the only thing we have to do for our worship to be sustained. We also need to be able to look forward. And that's what we see Solomon model for us in verses 25 through 30. Not only do we bless God for keeping his promises, we ask God to confirm his word. We ask God to confirm his word. I was a part of a small group one time where I couldn't help but think that our prayers were not quite as good as they could be. 
we uh, had just gotten done studying a wonderful passage of scripture. We had pulled out lots of truths about God, about how he is with his people in the midst of suffering, how there is comfort and peace to be found in the hardest of circumstances. And then we get, went to our prayer time. And that prayer time could have been a prayer time for any small group I've been to. It was filled with prayers for health and wealth and even a prayer for someone's pet. Now, those things are not off limits for Christians to pray for, but let's be frank. It becomes easy to lose your momentum in prayer when you're praying for the same shallow things again and again and again. Isn't there a better way to pray? Well, Solomon's prayer in chapter eight is a wonderful model for us. And in these six verses of 25 through 30, we see an example of how we can pray for things God wants instead of even things that we want. Let me say that again. We can pray for things God wants instead of just things that we want. Solomon prays for two things, two things that God has revealed he wants. That first thing is in verses 25 through 26. He prays that God would keep the kingdom. Keep the kingdom in verse 25. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised, saying, you should not like a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as, as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant, David, my father. Solomon, in two ways, Ask God to keep the promise, confirm your word. They're both about the same thing. He's asking God to give him an enduring Davidic dynasty. He's asking God to keep his promise to have a son of David on the throne of Israel forever. Now that may sound like a rather selfish prayer. I mean, after all, Solomon is a son of David, I mean, isn't this just another example of a powerful person asking God to keep them on top and make sure they have health and wealth and long lineage while everyone else, well, whatever. I don't think that's fair to Solomon. Even though it may seem self-interested, remember, this is the very thing that God himself has already promised. He told David that he would build him a house, and by that he meant a dynasty. His sons would rule over Israel. So I'm asked for a second thing from God. In verses 27 through 30, he asks God to dwell in this house that he has built, to dwell in this house. In verse 27, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Solomon grasps the seeming impossibility of his bold request. He's asking the infinite God of the universe that made us all to live in a house made of stone and cedar and gold. He's asking the God that has no footprint to live within a very specific footprint in the walls of this temple. Every once in a while, you have one of those realizations that something seemingly impossible is happening. 
Um, I, I grew up on airplanes. My dad's a retired airline pilot. That means I was jet setting from before I was walking. Uh, th and that means I have taken for granted the borderline miracle it is of modern commercial airline, uh, modern commercial flying. I mean, you think about what it is to take a trip on an airliner. You are hurtling through the air at hundreds of miles an hour, thousands of feet above the air. You, planes don't bump into each other. They manage to land on little strips of concrete. How ridiculous is that? How hard would it be to imagine before the Wright brothers? Imagine how hard it must have been for Solomon or anyone else to imagine that the God of heaven would dwell on earth in this little building. How could you ask for something so bold except on the basis that God already said he would do it? God promised David he would dwell in the house his son built. And now Solomon has built that house. So he boldly asked God, come live here. And the stakes are high. If God does not do so, his people will be unable to worship he, he, Solomon asks that God's eyes would be on this place, his ears would be toward it, that this would be a place where they would find forgiveness, a place where they could meet God and worship. And he asks so boldly because God promised he would do this. What a promise that was kept on that day. What a promise that God had given to David for a dynasty that endures and to dwell amongst his people. What, what a promise for God to dwell in the midst of his people in a house. And yet, how much greater is the promise God has kept to us as worshipers who come to him through his son, Jesus Christ. We need to learn to pray like Solomon. And we need to realize how God's promises are still being confirmed in the day that we live I found a definition for praying on a Gospel Coalition article. It says this, praying at its core is this. It's asking God to do what he's already promised to do. It's asking God to do what he's already promised to do. Now that implies that for you to pray, you must know what God has promised to do. Now, maybe you find yourself stuck in your prayer life. Maybe you find yourself not motivated to get on your knees. Maybe it feels like you're praying for the same things repetitively, and it's not easy to engage, to feel the presence of God as you pray in your quiet of the morning. What do you do with that? Well, let me, one suggestion would be that you learn to pray the Bible. Uh, one of the greatest joys that I, I've, I've found is being able to pray with believers who know their Bibles so well, who have been saturated in the word in their souls so much that when they pray, it's as if the words of scripture are just flowing out. God's desires and God's promises are just coming out and dripping off of the words they pray. And I hope you want to be able to do that. I certainly want to be able to. But for many of us, that's a difficult thing to get to. That only happens after years of studying the Bible. What can you do in the meantime? Well, I want to suggest to you a method put forward by Dr. Donald Whitney in this book called Pray the Bible. It's a very simple idea. It's that whatever you are reading in the Bible, devotionally or meditating on, whatever passage you're in, 
you can let that passage set the agenda for what you pray about. You can do so by asking just a few questions. I'll just give you two this morning. Two questions you can ask of any passage in the Bible that'll help you pray God's promises back to him. First, ask, what are God's priorities? What does this passage tell me God loves? What does it tell me he hates? What does it tell me God's interested in? What are God's priorities for whatever I just read? Second, ask, how should I praise him? How should I worship God because of what has been revealed in this passage? There's a lot more that could be said, and this is by no means the only way to pray. However, I think there would be much greater confidence we'd have, much greater boldness. If we were to pray back God's promises to him as we ask him to do things in our lives. And I realize this is a very biblical idea. 1 John 5 14 through 15, tells us that we will find great confidence when we pray God's will back to him. 1 John 5, 14 and 15, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Brothers and sisters, let's make a, a habit of praying back God's own words, his promises to him, and watch the bold requests we can make be answered before our eyes. Well, one question I want all of us to ask ourselves, we're in a rather unique season as a church. None of us knows when the COVID season will be over and what life will be like on the other end of it. But I think we should be asking and praying that God would not bring us back as the same people that we entered into this season. So ask yourself, what am I praying for my church? What am I praying that God will do according to his promises during this COVID season? I hope you would pray that our faith would be stronger at the other end of this. I hope you pray that our unity would be sweeter, even as it feels as if the world is dividing up in greater and greater degree. I hope you are praying that we would have a more powerful witness than we did before this started. I hope you pray that we would have a deeper love for each other. The very love of Christ toward us and through us in the church. Brothers and sisters, let's not pretend that God's promises are on hold during this COVID season. Let's pray God's promises back to him for our church, and let's be amazed at what he does, and let's let it guide our worship. Now, if you're listening in this morning, and you're not a Christian, I, I know I've been talking a lot about promises. I wonder if maybe that's a difficult thing for you. Maybe you've had people in your life that have not kept their promises to you. Maybe even people that should have loved you and cared for you instead inflicted great wounds upon you and you have trouble trusting anyone as a result. Maybe as you think of God, you have a little bit of baggage in that regard. To think of a God that we can, we can be taken at his word to do what he says, that, that's a hard thing for you to wrap your head around. But friend, if there's one thing that scripture says from beginning to end, if you were to study the Bible and ask, what can you say about God? Surely one of the things would be that he fulfills his promises. He's fulfilled his promise to make a home amongst his people. He's fulfilled his promise to make a way for wayward sinners to come back to him. He's fulfilled his promise to make himself knowable. And friend, 
If you come to know him through Jesus Christ, you will find him to be completely trustworthy. You'll find you have a reason to worship him because he will have kept promises directly to you in a way that only you will understand. Friend, if you've never read the Bible and read what it says about this God that Solomon worshiped and that all of us Christians worship, you need to do so and you need to ask, how can I trust him myself? Now to us as a church, I hope you're convinced that we are a people that are sustained in our worship by God's promises. What else can sustain worship of a God so lofty, of a God so far above us, except that his words to us are trustworthy and that he has fulfilled all that he has said. Brothers and sisters, I'm so thankful that we were able to sing, he saved my soul. He saved my soul. He's so good to me. He answers prayer. He answers prayer. He's so good to me. I'll praise his name. I'll praise his name. He's so good to me. Our God keeps his promises and he will confirm his word. He will keep his promises in the future. And brothers and sisters, that means we have all we need to sustain our worship forever. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for using your word amongst us. Thank you for the confidence we have that even the things that you have promised, that we have not yet seen come to pass, that we know that you surely will make good on your word, that you will confirm it, that we will have more reasons to praise you in the future. Would you grant us now grace as we go? Would you give us a song in our hearts, a, a confidence in the spiritual snapshots we have seen of your faithfulness? And would you mark us with a faith a faith that knows that you are utterly trustworthy. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.